today I want to talk about binding and loosing prayer. What does it mean to bind and loose? And as I've been studying this, um, this particular aspect of prayer, I've, uh, some of the things I've been, uh, you know, you, you wade into something, you learn new things, and I've learned new things this time, even though there was a lot that I, that I did know, but uh, putting it together was, was really, really exciting. And so you hear about that today. Next week, I've invited Pastor Nick to come and share on uh, uh, contemplative or con contemplative prayer. That's my term. It's probably another way to say it, but sometimes I have awkward English. But what does it mean just to get in the presence of God and just listen, just be quiet before the Lord? That's certainly a manner of prayer oftentimes that's not practiced as much today. And Nick has really been a student in practicing that. He's going to bring that to us today. I mean, for example, I was listening to a worship song this morning in, in uh, preparing and halfway through the song, I was really into it. I mean, the presence of God was there. I was into it. And then all of a sudden, I, uh, an ad comes up. I'm like, what is this? You know, just broke broke open. I'm like, and, and it wasn't a very appropriate ad either in the midst of worship. So, you know, those things happen. How do we, how do we again, just uh, focus on God and get free of distractions? And so that's coming next week. The, uh, the, the um, so in, in jumping in today, really the purpose of this is, again, to broaden our understanding of, of, uh, of prayer and, uh, and what prayer is so that we can see more of God's presence come. So today, we're going to look at the prayer of binding and loosing, and I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. This prayer is mentioned twice in the Bible, even though it's applied many times. It's mentioned two times in the Bible by Jesus, both in the context of the church. So it's not really a prayer that we pray as individuals. It's a prayer in the context of the church. So I want to read from Matthew 16, and we'll walk down through this scripture this morning. Uh, it's stated in Matthew 16, but it's really applied in Matthew 18, and uh, we'll get a chance to look at that as well. Let's start out here, Matthew 16:13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And they replied. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But Jesus is uh, speaking the context of, of who is he really, and the disciples are coming up with the right answer. And he goes on to um, talk about this binding and loosing prayer. What is it today? We're going to wade in and find out. So the first uh, point I have was what is a binding and loosing prayer? Now, the translation that I've used that's probably comparable to the one that you have 
when you get to that part where it says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Maybe you have shall be bound in heaven. I have a little asterisk by that and I go down to the margin of my Bible and I find the words have been. And so I try to put all, that all together and it's very confusing. And what I've found as I've dug into this uh, particular verse, I've found that the Greek verb is extremely awkward to translate in English. To get the full understanding of the Greek word, it's just very awkward. But I am very comfortable with awkward English. And so I am, I'm okay about making it awkward for us to understand the full benefit of what Jesus had in mind when he stated this. And so I've went ahead and, and tried to bring out the fullness of this uh, that you and I read shall be or will be or have been and put it into awkward English for us this morning. And I've come up with this. Whatever you bind on earth must have already been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth must have already been loosed in heaven. So that would be the fullest understanding of this verse. And as you hear that definition, you will understand that we can't pray anything that hasn't been first decided in heaven. And yet I've been in settings and in conferences at times that feels like that we've had our own agenda here on earth. And we want heaven to ratify our own agenda here on earth. And so it feels like it starts here instead of up there coming down and forming us what we should pray. And when we do that, things happen versus the other way around that we have our ideas here and we bring them up to God and then we expect him to answer those prayers and then we're disappointed when he doesn't. And so we come to this place of saying that we're connected. Heaven is connected to earth in regards to binding and loosing prayer. So that's kind of the, the, the essence of it's awkward English, but it's accurate understanding of this, uh, this particular prayer. So let's look at the word bind for a minute. The word bind means to invite or forbid from fellowship. Well, where do I get that? Now we go to Matthew 18, and we begin to see the application of this binding and loosing prayer. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, or brother or sister, just between the two of you. If he or she listens, you will have won your brother or sister over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But if he or she refuses to listen, listen to them, tell it to the church. What does it mean to tell it to the church? Basically, it means that you involve the people that are directly involved and not the people that aren't directly involved. Because the people that aren't directly involved get involved. You call that gossip. But the people that are directly involved, their whole intent is we want to solve this. We want to reconcile. We want to redeem we want to make sure that whatever's going wrong, that God speaks to the individual and it starts to go right. So telling it to the church then is involving people, perhaps leadership, that again, the whole goal is we want to redeem, we want to restore, we want to bring them back into fellowship. And so Jesus then continues. 
He says that if they won't listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And one of my, my uh, understandings of that is you just love them but don't solve their problem. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, Jesus again continues. He says, whatever you bind on earth, and I'm going to use my, my insert there, whatever you bind on earth must have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth must have been loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again, I tell you that if two of you would on earth would agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus says, when you line up in the way that heaven designs it, I'm going to be in your midst. I will be there with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll be there. So we have this word bind that in the context of how Jesus shares it in Luke 18, that the church actually has the authority to decide that if someone is in sin, according to Scripture and according to the Spirit of the Lord, that we can actually determine they don't belong with us anymore. Or we can participate in reconciling them so that they do belong with us again. Now, the world doesn't do that. When the world, uh, when somebody commits a sin or does something, whether it's in ignorance or whether it's intention that they do something, the world tags that person and basically says, you cannot be rehabilitated. That's how the world looks at it. It tags people, it judges people, it puts them on lists that the public can go and see and say, that person is labeled, they're tagged, they can never be reconciled from that sin. That's not the church. The church is a governing body that God put on earth to say that if that person repents out of the goodness of their heart, believes that that sin actually is washed away. They get free from the effects of that sin and they get free from the label of that sin and they get free from the responsibility of committing that sin again. And the church says, you have been free from that sin. Come into our fellowship. We embrace you. We love you. And, and we, we see you as one of us. But in the, sometimes in even the remainder of, of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and other writers, so much of what they write, not so much, but, but it's not uncommon for them to talk about people that are trying to disrupt the church bring division, have their own ideas, bring religion into the church. But the church has been given authority as a governing body to decide what's authentic and what's not. I think of the Apostle Paul when he was, uh, after he was converted to Jesus. Nobody wanted to invite him into fellowship. That's in Acts chapter 8. They were like, wait a minute, he's killing Christians. Why would we invite him in to give the, the morning sermon? But it was a, a, a Barnabas that had a conversation with Paul. And he knew that his conversion was authentic. And he went to the 12 apostles and said, No, this guy's changed. He's not killing Christians. He's proclaiming Christ. Let's invite him in. And the church had the authority to do that because Paul had a repentant heart. And Paul goes on to write, and James and, and John, they go on to write about people coming in, trying to disrupt the church, trying to, and, and sometimes he says they were among us, but they weren't of us. They needed to be put out of the church, and the church has the responsibility to do this. But today, we're kind of in a church environment where it's just come as you are and stay as you are, and we accept you as you are. That's not really the church. 
as Jesus described it here, that we have the ability to, to bind and to loose. In other words, to, according to God's word, to decide who is, is authentic because of their heart, of their confession, what they say, and to make a distinction. This person is with us or this person is not with us and put those that are not with us outside of the church and those that are with us inside the church. We've been given that authority. And yet that's oftentimes not, not how we think today or how churches operate to, today. But that's how Jesus is, is uh, proclaiming that. So we get into the word loose. Before I get into that word, uh, some years ago I was, um, uh, uh, this was early on when Crossroads started. We had times when I would call it the spirit of offense would, would circulate among the people. And he would take something very small and build it into something huge. And people would get offended about that and mad at each other and, and just, you know, it caused all kinds of division and havoc. And so I recognized this is one of those times where the spirit of offense is hovering around crossroads. And he's trying to pick off people, well-meaning people, and they're just picking up this stuff. And, and, and they're, they're building it up into a mountain when it's really a molehill. And so I called two or three leaders and... Um, I, uh, I said, we need to pray because the spirit of offense is loose again. And so we began to pray, and I was, I was reading something during that time, and, and the Lord just prompted one and I together to actually, to these two couples that were involved, uh, to actually wash their feet. And so that's what we did. We, we called them, and we said, uh, you know, we, we just, we realize the situation, and, and as pastors of this church, we just want to come and wash your feet and bless you. And so we did that, and it was very powerful. It was very meaningful, and it broke the spirit of offense that, that had risen up in those two couples, and they got free. So that was an example of a binding and loosening. We bound the spirit of offense, and we loosed fellowship back in the temple. I've never, you know, done it that way since, but that was how the Lord was directing us at that time. Let's talk about the word loose now. To loose is to proclaim freedom from sin. In John chapter 8, there's an there's a illustration of this where uh, Jesus was, was out and, and it says a group of men brought a woman that was caught in adultery. And they brought her to Jesus and they said, now what are you going to do about her? Because the law says that she should be stoned, she should be killed. And so Jesus is put in this place where he needs to make a decision whether to honor the Old Testament law or to do something else. And again, this is an example of the ecclesia or this, this uh, legislative body that the church is. And so uh, Jesus, again, knelt down, prayed, and his father said this. Instead of honoring the Old Testament law, the New Testament says, and of course it was active in the Old, but the New Testament says, I want you to practice the law of mercy over judgment. And so Jesus looks up at these guys that are standing around, and he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone in. And the guys are like... It says in Scripture that the oldest to the youngest left. And the only that, two that remained was Jesus and a woman. And Jesus said, where's those that condemn you? And she says, they're not here. They're gone. And then Jesus then legislated or invoked or loosed the law of freedom over her. It says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. 
What an amazing moment for her to get up and to leave that circle when she thought that she'd be leaving in a coffin and yet she, woke up, uh, she walked out on her own strength. That's an example of, again, the church that uh, where, where one law says kill, the other law says redeem, let live, forgive. And so we have two in, in, in play and Jesus chose the latter. He chose the law of mercy. So the last uh, bullet point I have there, number one, is that the, the, this, this uh, prayer of binding and loosing the, is a, or the church is a legislative agreement where the church is implementing heaven's directing. It's a legislative agreement where the church is implementing heaven's directing. The church is not a building with a sign out front that people come and just gather for social purposes. The church is not a teaching center, even though it teaches. A church is not an equipping center, even though we equip. A church is not a healing center, even though we heal. A church is not a place of finding friendship, even though we have friends together. The church does all those things, but Jesus said, I've designed the church to be a legislative body here on earth, to hear from heaven and to speak it and to do it here on earth. That's what binding and loosening is all about. It's been given to the church as a legislative body. And God does that. Number two, who's involved in this binding and loosing prayer? Back in Matthew 16, when Peter answered this question that Jesus has, who do people say that I am? And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Suddenly Peter gets this revelation. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to him and says, on this rock, or really we could say on this revelation, Peter, I will build my church. So Jesus is building his church. And the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. But Jesus was, uh, again, teaching his disciples. And he uh, um, um, brings forth this question. But... Peter was the one that had the revelation from heaven. So he was actually exercising this binding and loosening prayer. He was exercising the fact that he heard from the Father first. He didn't hear from the other disciples. Jesus is the Christ. Why don't you answer? He didn't get that from, from his other disciples. He didn't read it in a newspaper. He didn't read it, read it on the web. He actually got it from a revelation from God, from heaven. And what did he do? He spoke it on earth. And Jesus capitalized on that. He said, Peter, you got that revelation not from anybody else, but except my Father in heaven. Now, based upon that revelation, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? And then he states the scripture of binding and loosing after that that uh, we're talking about this morning. So that's the, the kind of the sequence of how this verse got uh, put about. So God's authority is really extending uh, to the church on earth. That's what's happening. God's authority is extending to the church on earth. And then he goes on to say, I give you the keys. Um, you know, I thought about keys, and that is you only give keys to people you trust, right? Why would you give keys to somebody you don't trust? 
That doesn't make any sense. They come in and rob you or, or, or mess up your office or home. You would never give your keys to somebody that you don't trust. The first, uh, second Sunday in June, we had church in the park and we were uh, setting up and uh, I think Nolan was playing guitar that morning. He opened up his guitar case and there was a string broken. And I was like, oh, I didn't bring another string. What are we going to do? And he was the only guitarist. So I was like, well, my, my guitar is in my office. Go get it. And so I gave my keys to Sam, and Sam came to the church. He didn't realize it was in my office. He came back here to the amp room, and he found a guitar that he thought was mine and brought it over, opened up the case, string broken. Second guitar, second string broken. I said, that's not my guitar. My guitar is in my office. So I give Sam my keys again, and he goes and this time comes back with my guitars. All six strings are on. We're good to go. We did the service. So later on that day, I'm fishing around. I'm like, where's my keys? And I can't find my keys anywhere. So I text Sam. I said, Sam, where's my keys? And he said, well, I looked. He said, I don't know. I'll check. So he said, I looked in my pants. I looked in the car. I shook my wife upside down. No, just kidding on the wife. And he said, I, I can't find your keys. I don't have them. Right now, I'm beginning to distrust Sam because I don't have my keys. And he had them last, and I didn't remember him giving them back to me. I just like, oh, what's going on? So several weeks went by. I did have another set of keys. Several weeks went by, and I'm coming up out of sleep one morning, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, your keys are in the console of your truck. <laughs> so I was like, hmm, that's very possible. And so I didn't get up because I needed a cup of coffee. I didn't get up and run to the truck. I just kind of went on about my day. And later on, I went by the truck. And I said, well, I'm going to check. See if my keys are in the truck. Sure enough. Open up the door. There's my keys in the console of the truck, right where God said they were. So I'm beginning to realize I can't trust myself. I can trust Sam, but I can't trust myself. But God gives keys to people he trusts. In Isaiah 22, 20 through 22, uh, chapter 22, verses 20 through 22. Um, the prophet says this. He says, On that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hang your authority over him. And he will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David and what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open wow that's very powerful and profound because God found a leader in this man that he could trust and as a result of that he gave him the keys to govern this city and to father these people and to bring forth the goodness of God in that city because he found a person that he could trust. And as a result, he gave him his authority and the key to govern rightly. What's the significance of a key? Those who have a key have been granted a privilege or a right that not everyone else has. If you think about the keys that you have, they're restricted to either your use or who you delegate to have other keys of the same thing. So there's a privilege and a right that is associated with keys that not everybody else has. And that's the same way in the church. 
We have abilities and attributes that have been given to us by God to govern in a way that not every organization or government or whatever is out there that tries to control and contain people, they don't have the same privileges and rights that we have as the church that have been granted and given to us from heaven. And so we have to recognize that and we have to take that into account. But God gives keys to people that he trusts. Our oldest child, uh, Rachel, she was uh, in high school and wanting to, to um, uh, she was starting her photography business and she needed a MacBook in order to, to really uh, process the pictures uh, adequately. And so we looked up uh, and, and found uh, someone was selling a MacBook Pro that was used and I called the guy and I said, hey, I'm Bobby Alger and I'd like to come by and look at your MacBook and He's like, sure, come by tonight. So we did. Rachel and I went and knocked on the door. Elderly gentleman opened the door, invited us in. And we began to look at the MacBook. And he had an iPad there. And he had an Apple computer. And he had a, he's, he's, I don't know. He got, he got offended at Apple somehow. And he just wanted to sell all of his products. He's like, I'm just done. And we're like, oh, okay, your offense, our gain. You know, we're in. And so... Uh, she looked and we ended up buying the Mac computer and uh, he saw me eyeing the iPad and I didn't have one at that time and he was like uh, uh, are you interested in the iPad and I was like well I've thought about it but I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for one he said well just take it over the weekend and use it and see if you like it I was like whoa wait a minute are, are you sure yeah just take it See if you like it. Let me know on Monday or Tuesday if you like it. I'm like, uh, okay. So I took it, and uh, wow, I watched over that thing the weekend. I mean, I got familiar with it, but I didn't leave it out of my sight. I slept with it. No, I didn't. I, didn't. I was like, man, this is somebody else's deal, and I don't know why I have it. But he just gave, just said, try it out. So Monday came, and, and uh, he, he wanted too much money for it, I thought. And so I... I uh, I offered him a price, and he said, you know, I was thinking about that price, too. We're in. I said, I'll, I'll come by and, and give you the money. And so I uh, went that evening and gave him the money, and I said, I have a question for you. Why did you, just out of the blue, you didn't know me. Why, out of the blue, did you let me use your iPad or get familiar with it over the weekend? He said, oh, I heard your name. I Googled you. I saw you were a pastor of a church. I decided I could trust you. <laughs> Like, wow. So you only give kings, uh, give keys and things of value to people that you trust. And God says, I can trust the church to be my voice on earth. I want to give you some keys. Now, Jesus doesn't go into the keys of what they are. Obviously, there's individual keys. In fact, I've found six of them that I'm going to put in the newsletter this week. So if you're not on the newsletter list, go to the website, sign up if you want those. But I'm going to print those this week. And there's probably more, but I found six that if you operate these keys, you will get certain results. And if you don't choose to operate those keys, you won't get the results that God wants. And so there are actual keys. Jesus doesn't, again, go into detail in this passage about them. All right, let's move along. Number three, how does binding and loosing prayer work? It starts with a revelation from God. 
It starts with a revelation from God. And maybe the reason that we're prompted to get a revelation from God is that something's wrong in our life, or maybe something isn't going right, or maybe we have a vision that we know in order for that vision to be fulfilled, God has to be a part of it. He has to lead us and guide us in that. And so as you, as you recognize that, then something's going wrong or something's not going right or something's going right, you want it to go better, that you realize the Lord has to be involved in this, therefore I'm going to seek him for guidance. So the revelation first starts in heaven, or it starts as a revelation from God. And we see that with Peter's life in Matthew chapter 16, 17, he had the right revelation. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter had the right revelation. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't get that from yourself or from others. You got it from the Heavenly Father. And then just several verses later, Peter has the wrong revelation. Jesus began to talk about the fact that he was going to die and go to the cross and, and, and be crucified. And Peter jumps in and says, no, stop that talk. You have got to quit that. That's not going to happen to you. He had the wrong revelation. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Get out of Peter. Satan, leave Peter. And then he went on to say, your revelation is from man and not from God. And so how quickly it can change from having a revelation from God that we begin to enter into versus having a wrong revelation that comes from man and then we try to impose God on it. It doesn't work. Peter got rebuked from Jesus because it was the wrong revelation. It was at his comfortable level rather than what God had in mind to do. So the first thing is a revelation from God. The second is supported by the agreement of one or two others. I think this is important when we talk about the body of Christ. That, uh, w that God has given us this legislative ability as the church, and sometimes we think that we're going to do it on our own. And that's not how this prayer works. This prayer works always in the context of two or three others at minimum. It can be more, but at minimum, like your spouse or your family or maybe, maybe somebody in your small group. Uh, or maybe, maybe an elder, somebody in the church that you are, are friends with, you come together and you say, you know what, the Lord is showing me this. Now I want you to pray and see if the Lord shows you something similar or the same. Someone came in my office this week and said that they were actually, uh, not actually, they, they actually did it, <laughs> that they were sitting with God and they began to journal a bunch of things. And they, they laid the book on my desk and said, I want you to read this and see if this seems like God. What were they doing? They were inviting me into agreement of what they felt they heard from God to make sure that we're on the same page together. And so I read it, and I felt like that it was kind of uh, basic and the starting point, but there wasn't much detail. But it was good. And so... He came back in my office and said, what do you think? I said, no, it's good. It sounds like God. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, he says, I think it's just basic. There's not a lot of detail. God wants to reveal more. 
And I'm like, exactly, that's what I thought. See, that's what it means to come into agreement, that we actually talk with one another about the revelation that we've heard, and we get on the same page together, and then we pray it, and we see God move. That's how this, this, uh, this prayer is kind of the principle of this prayer works, is when it's in agreement with two or three others. It's a big deal to God. And then finally, it's shared authority from the Father given to the church. Shared authority from the Father given to the church. Number four, what's the focus of binding and loosing? What's the focus? Again, the scripture out of Matthew 16, 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom. The first thing that uh, the focus of binding and loosing is the church has power of attorney to proclaim the removal or the remaining of sins. Now, let me explain that. The church has the power of attorney to proclaim the removal of or the remaining of sins. See, when you have power of attorney, you're not the attorney, nor you are the person. But the person has handed over to you the ability to make legal decisions as if it were them, but you're not them. That's how power of attorney works. And so God has handed over to the church power of attorney. Once we hear from heaven, he says, now I want you to legislate goodness, kindness, self-control, love, the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to legislate that here on earth. Wow, that's not something uh, that, that we uh, oftentimes uh, uh, talk about. But God needs our, our cooperation as a people together. In John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, Jesus is visiting his disciples the first time after he rose from the dead on Sunday night. He rose Sunday morning. Sunday night, he's hanging out with his disciples, minus Thomas. And he makes this statement to them. He says, Peace I leave with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he makes this statement. He says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, if you just look at that verse in itself, it's the ability to decide that someone's sins are forgiven and the ability to also decide that they are not forgiven or they don't want to be forgiven and they don't want to follow God. And so that's a, a place of legislation. It's a place of authority that God gives the church in, 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 uh, in the, the way that we operate, obviously out of servanthood, obviously out of humility, and the whole goal within the church is to reconcile. That's God's goal. Redeem, reconcile, bring back together, never to push away, never to, to, to uh, put people out. That's not his goal. That's not his desire. People put themselves out. People make a decision. They don't want to follow God. They want to ignore God. They want to do it their way. They put themselves out. And God says, I give the church the authority to make that decision whether people want to come in or people want to stay out. You have that ability. You have that authority to do that. And so, again, that's oftentimes different from how we think. Today, we just say, well, you know, churches come and, and people come as they are and stay as they are and, and, and never grow beyond it. That's not the church. The church, uh, Jesus loves us enough. Uh, uh, Jesus loves us exactly where we are, where we are, 
He accepts us where we are, and he loves us enough not to keep us where we are. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to know me and to grow into the likeness. Unfortunately, this kind of prayer has often been used inappropriately rather than how I've just described it. I've been in settings and with certain people that have used this binding and loosing prayer with the purpose of binding and loosening principalities and powers rather than deciding how the church should influence the world. That the prayer is used to bind principalities and powers rather than to really move forward and establish his kingdom here on earth. And, and as a result of that, uh, what I've noticed is that people that engage in that or even ministries that engage in that, they either are short-lived or there's something that catastrophic happens to the leaders that it just kind of melts away. In other words, it doesn't work. Sometimes it invites more calamity than it does actually help in bringing people to Christ and establishing the church. And as I look down through scriptures, I really can't find uh, where Jesus calls us to engage in that way. So what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, here's what I want you to do, church. I want you to go out and I want you to engage in ground-level warfare. That is, heal the sick, cast out demons, those with contagious disease, I want you to heal. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to declare that the kingdom of God is here. And that's what they did. And as a result of going out and doing that with the authority that Jesus had given them, Jesus looked up and he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, the principalities and powers were lost their effective ability because of the ground level that the church was active in, in winning people to Christ, casting out demons, healing the sick, not being afraid to, to pray for people that had contagious diseases, and to raise the dead. And so I believe that if we are engaged in that as a church, then the principalities and powers will weaken and we're not involved with them. The Lord is because of what's happening on the ground level. During our 21 days that we, um, that we uh, were participated in, there were five churches. Crossroads was one. We met here and met uh, two other places then in the other churches. Um, the first week, our, uh, uh, our focus was First Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so that was kind of our devotional that week. And what happened, it ended up being that people came and confessed a lot of things that they had done just to get their heart right with God. And there were other things that happened, but that was a lot of what took place. And there was a police officer that was uh, uh, a part of the, the group participating, and uh, they were active in Winchester Police. Uh, and so they, they went to work, and for a four-day period of time, they said there were hardly any calls that came in in the police department. Very few, if any. In fact, it was so dramatic that the police officers began to talk and said, why is this not happening? We should have calls coming in. Of course, this officer knew what was happening across town, that we were repenting 
and the presence of God was coming. And when the presence of God fills a place and fills a city, then the principalities and powers lack ability to influence people on the ground. So that's what Jesus called us to do as a people. And as a result of that, then the principalities are weakened. In fact, Jude 8 through 10 kind of backs that up. It says, um, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, an ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Joseph, uh, of body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as, as irrational animals will destroy them. And so Jude recognizes that even in this conversation that Michael had with Satan over the body of Moses, which is like, wow, that's, that's kind of deep. He says he didn't, didn't slander the devil, I probably would have. It says, it says, Lord, you take care of him. I'm going to stick in doing what I'm called to do. There's several things that we've done as a church uh, to establish uh, the authority of the kingdom. One of the things we do is that every year we have a, a, a prayer walk before the Apple Blossom Parade. Those of you around Ch Winchester know the Apple Blossom. People come in from... Uh, all kinds of uh, walks of life and, and, and inundate the town and, and use it as a good time. But we've just decided that we're going to uh, pray Winchester's and one that heads that up and others join. But we just walk the parade route and we just declare the kingdom of God is here. We pray for good hospitality and we, we pray that the, the, the powers that, that want to come and do drugs and, and you know, disrupt and, and steal, whatever they have in mind, we, just, we pray in Jesus' name that that would be bound and we just release as we walk. And we've, in the last couple of years, we've had amazing reports from police officers to, to uh, newspaper articles of people saying it was a great apple blossom. There were hardly any instances. The ones that were few were minor. It was a great time of just celebration together. And I'm convinced that it is because the church is out front uh, doing the groundwork, establishing his presence to come, and then God honors that. I could go in and tell other, other stories about, uh, about particulars, but I won't. Um, this uh, couple of years ago, we had, uh, there was a, a, a group that came together and they wanted to do a, a walk uh, uh, regarding the racial tensions that were happening in our nation. And so I got wind of it. It didn't take a, 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 a few days. And I said, okay, we're going to, they wanted to do a parade again to, um, uh, to kind of express to walking through that time in our nation and as a people. So I said, well, the church is going to walk the route first. And so I, again, called a group together, and there were like five or six pastors and business people and, and other people that came, and even the, the, uh, the person that was organizing the, uh, the, the event came as well. And so we walked the route, and we prayed for peace. We prayed for harmony. We prayed for understanding. That's what we did as the church. We were out as a legislative body in our community declaring that we were going to get along, and we were going to hear one another, and we were going to listen to one another. And so that's what we did first, and I didn't really participate in anything after that. But I got reports back that basically what we prayed was happening the rest of the day. 
That's the church out legislating the kingdom of God in our communities and in our workplaces. That's the place that he's called us to do. And yet sometimes we're so far from that in the church. So finding the right key to exchange kingdoms. That's where I want to land here today. Finding the right key to exchange kingdoms. Because there are two kingdoms out there. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of selfishness and there's a kingdom of selflessness. There's a kingdom of, of spirit. There's a kingdom of flesh. And they're all wage war against one another. And yet God says, I will give you the keys that whatever you need to see me come in, ask me for what that key is. And I will show you the key. I will, I will give you a dream when you wake up where your keys are if you've lost them. I will, I will show you what you need to pray if you need to get out in front of something that's coming to your community. If you as a church would trust me, I'll give you the keys. And I'll keep your community safe. And I'll keep your community prosperous. And I'll keep your people understanding that I delight to reveal from heaven what I would like to see happen here on earth. And he's given that right and privilege to the church and to nobody else. And then we have people that come among us that might have their own agenda. And he says, you as the church can decide whether or not those people are bringing division or whether or not they're bringing harmony. And if they're bringing division, if they have a divisive spirit about them, you as the church have legislative authority to say, you need to step outside and stay outside because you're not welcomed here. But you can go through this three-step process and we can talk about it that maybe you went back in. Talk about it. Bring another person. Bring it to the church. God's always about reconciliation. The world is not. The world's about judgment and exposure. The church is about reconciliation and agreement together. And we need to take our responsibility in the church in this day and time in which we live and to do what God's called us to do. So binding and loosing. He says, I've given you the ability that whatever has been bound in heaven will be bound on earth. And whatever has been loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. So church, pray. Get a revelation from God. Get the key and then agree and pray that and you'll see my glory come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and allowing us to, to take a complicated scripture, even something that's been misunderstood or maybe misused, and just in, in a short period of time, try to bring some understanding or parameters about this prayer that we call binding and loosing. Lord, there's so much more I believe you want to show us in regards to this, whether it be in our own life and families or corporately in the church as well as in our own communities. But I know, God, that you're faithful to teach us as we are willing to learn. And so, God, I pray that we would have teachable hearts to learn what you have to share with us regarding this prayer of binding and loosing.
Lord, we know that, that you, have, uh, you delight in making sure that we're linked from heaven to earth. And God, I pray that as we re-examine our own hearts in this and our own theology in this, that you would again set us free. And I pray, God, that you would help us as a church family and body to walk into the fullness that you have for us. That we would take the authority, the power of attorney that you've given us, and we would not shrink back. But at the same time, knowing that you have given us this power of attorney, that we would not do so out of our own agenda, out of our own revelation, out of our own control, but we would do so with the humility and the love and, and the desire to redeem as you so much desire to do in our lives. So, Father, thank you for uh, allowing us to spend a few minutes in your word and, and hear from your Holy Spirit. And, uh, Father, I pray that if there's those among us that realize that they're not in relationship with you in a way you're calling them to, Father, I pray that they would say yes to Jesus this morning and enter into the fullness of what you have for them as an individual. And also recognize that when one individual changes, family changes. Sometimes household change. Sometimes communities change because one individual found Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you so much love us that you want to bring the fullness of what it means for us to be the church today, the ecclesia, the one that has been granted power of attorney to legislate here on earth. Lord, may we not shrink back, but may we grab a hold of that which you're speaking and exercise it to the glory of God. In Jesus' name.